expanding the Nerdosphere, talking about everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Well, here we go once again, another episode of Down and Nerdy, number 64, actually, and we don't know exactly where Hogwarts is, but we just hope that when we find it, there's a cream for that. Yeah, pretty much because we're going to have to apply it to, like, all over their body when we run into the nine and three quarters wall, we don't go through it. I'm just saying, you know, you can't just sit in a warm bath and then peel it off. You, you, you can't. Just you, saying. It's just that, it's that cold painful feeling of rejections. That's worse than not getting your letter at Hogwarts. Worse is just like having your little suitcase and everything else and just run right through the, the wall and you just don't go through. And then next thing you know, you got broken ribs and then your face is all messed up and you look like sloth from the Goonies. That's right. I'm James with him alongside. The Merkel One-Armed Nick Pataglia. And boy, James, do we have a fantastic show this week. Yes, we actually have. And I want you to try to contain yourself. I will. And not fanboy out on me here. Because we actually have a comic book legend and co-creator of pretty much your favorite character on the show this week. Yeah, uh, Fabian Nicieza, who is the co-creator of Deadpool, is stopping by this week. He's going to be our guest on this week's show. And we met him at Tidewater Comic Con a couple weeks ago. And we wanted to do like a quick five-minute interview with him there. And he was pretty much just like, hey, no. He's like, hey, here's my information. And we'll talk through Skype because it's a lot better. And plus, we get to talk longer. So, Awesome. <laughs> yeah, we can't wait to ask him about the Deadpool movie that's going to be coming out. Just wrapped filming. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be talking to him about Convergence as well. He wrote a couple of uh, tie-ins for Convergence, and I'll be reviewing Convergence, the finale, on uh, what we're reading this week. But, you know, the guy's been in the industry a long time and done a lot of stuff. He's not just all about Deadpool, so there's going to be a bunch of stuff we're going to be able to talk about. Exactly. And then, again, I'm going to try to not fanboy all over the place. I really appreciate that. Well, because not only did he create my favorite comic character, he's the reason why I got into comics, man. He did stuff with X-Men, and X-Men is what I got into first for, for comics. So it's it's a big honor to have him on the show. I mean, you know, it's so, so great. We had a lot of big guests on the show, and you know, but right now with him, it's just like it, I, I'm so, I'm so ex- excited right now. And, I mean, we've got a whole bunch of stuff coming up on the show, too. We're going to be talking about... Tomorrowland, we're going to be reviewing that on This Week in Geek Tamment. We've always got a ton of nerd news. And you never know, it just might be, might be just like last week with the Andy Circus news. We might actually have something pop up as we're talking, and we'll bring that to you if it happens. Exactly, but let's start off with something that I did the other night, actually. Now, I posted on our Facebook page and my social media, uh, facebook.com slash nerdy, that I was watching The Goonies for the first time. And so... People are probably, like, flipping out right now, like, oh, my God, you haven't seen The Goonies until, hey, like, this week. I told you it was a nerd rite of passage. Yeah. That you needed to watch this movie. But I'm not going to lie, though, and I know people are probably still going to kill me for it, but I was watching it last night, man, and I just – it was an average movie. It wasn't great. Like, I don't understand why people are flipping out over it. I think it's because we talked about this off air – that it's a generational thing. Like maybe had I watched it when I was a little kid, maybe it would still hold that that weight. You know that you, that you didn't grow up with it. It's not a piece of nostalgia for you. No, that's part of the problem. And when you see it when you're younger, 
It, there's, you know, when you're younger, you see things with the eyes of not needing cinematic brilliance, okay? Yeah. You can enjoy stuff just for what it is. You know, sometimes when you get older, you can't do that as much. But when you grow up with it, it's different. It's a piece of nostalgia for me. It's a piece, it's a reminder of my childhood kind of thing. So that's one of the reasons I love it. I also happen to think it's a great movie, but the big thing for me is it's a piece of my childhood. So I understand where you're coming from. Right. Well, I mean, you were what, like 20 years old when it came out? Ha <laughs> very funny. I'm dead serious. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I wasn't 20. I was a lot younger than that. Okay, but no, like I watched it. I was just like, oh, you know, eh. I wanted to punch Chunk in the face repeatedly. Everybody but... wanted to punch Chunk in the face. Well, I mean, quick, doing a quick review of it. I mean, you know, I'm not going to elaborate too much on because everybody who's listening has most likely seen it. But you know, when you watch certain films, you can tell which way they're going in terms of beats and in terms of storyline and script like chung for example he it was the whole not popular kid the kid who's a klutz who is no good ends up in the end pretty much saving everybody so you know he was the fat kid too by the way let's not forget that yes yeah and, and that's the thing too is the only people that say like well you've never seen goonies no the only scene from the goonies i seen was a truffle shuffle scene that was Which, it yeah that's 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 not the scene that you want to see no <laughs> that's not the only scene you want to see from goonies no but i mean overall like i said it was just one of those movies where i'm just like I, it's, it's, a, it's an 80s movie it's your typical well, 80s movie well it's not that but it's I also think. well i mean it's also like one of those things where it's like i watch it once but i don't think i'll ever watch it again you know what i'm saying like it's one of those movies, I think, for me. It was for its for its time. It it stood up really well. I think nineteen eighty five. Yeah. I mean, come on. I was six years old. You see Goonies when you're six or seven or something like that for the first time. Yeah, that's gonna stick with you for a while. Well, I remember when I first saw Jurassic Park, uh, ninety three. Man, I cried when I first saw the dinosaurs because I'm like, it's the most beautiful thing ever. Yeah, but when my son grows up and sees Jurassic Park for the first time, he he's probably gonna be like, eh, Dad, really. Really? This uh, was great? I was about to say, I thought you were going to take your son to see Jurassic World, and then he, because he's only alive in one yet, and he's just yeah, going to be screaming. Soon. Yeah, too, too soon. soon. Too soon for that. He likes the cartoon dinosaurs, though, so that's all that really matters. Yeah. It's all, yeah. My thing is, like, with, with, like, the Goonies, you know, I wonder, maybe Bob or Fanscape would know this, if, they, if there was ever, like, a Goonies comic book. I don't know if there was a comic uh, I think there were, I think there were action figures. Okay. And I'm pretty sure that there was some sort of animated thing. I don't, I don't think it was a comic though. It might've been cards, trading cards or something like that. But speaking of Bob over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards, that's going to do it for the start of the show. Got two new comics coming up next. It's what we're reading on Dad and Nerdy. Hi, this is Bob Lee, Fantasy Escape Comics Cards, Virginia Beach, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds. We get out those bags and boards and discuss what we're reading this week. Of course, this segment is brought to you every week by the fine folks over at Fanscape Comics and Cards. Go check out Bob's stuff, his shirts, his art, his comics, of course. And James, since we're having Mr. Fabian Nicias on this week, I decided to, you know what? Let's let's do a, a conclusion of a Deadpool series. It actually ended uh, about a week or so ago. And that's The Return of the Living Deadpool, number 404. Okay, I remember you talked about the first issue at our live show in Dave & Buster's for our 50th, I believe. Yes, I did. And, of course, it was written by our friend Colin Bunn. And, of course, the art is done by Nick Varela. And where it left off is, you know, Deadpool and Liz, the whole plot of the entire comic run, is they're trying to get to what's called the Deadpool free zone. Just like in any zombie movie, there's always that that safe zone, you know what I'm saying? Right. And so it's revealed, of course, I revealed that their 50th episode, when I did 
uh, issue number one, that the Deadpools are actually zombies that turn into Deadpools. And we find out why in this issue, pretty much. We find out it's because Deadpool, they find out because his healing factor could probably, at the time of the initial outbreak, when everybody was turning into just zombies, that ah, maybe okay. his healing factor can change that and make everybody go back. Well, fortunately, as we all know, it changes them into Deadpools. So it didn't help. It actually made it worse. And so the ending... You know, as they're going through this whole thing, it's a lot of, you know, bloodshed, a lot of action, which is really, really great. The writing is really, really well. I mean, it is Colin Bunn after all. Uh, the art by Varela has been really, really good. It's a very, very much the same th- and constant throughout. So it's not like where it changes on you. Right. And what I like about this is that it had a very Sin City kind of old school zombie, pretty much because it is. It's kind of a take of Night of the Living Dead where, you know, it was really shot in black and white. So it has that. Sin City, Night of Living Dead feel where everybody else is black and white except for Deadpool. Deadpool is in his red and black costume. And even when he has his mask off and his suit's torn, he has, you know, the flesh peach colored skin. And so as it's going through the ending, and this is kind of going to be a spoiler here. I'm not going to say what happens, but it is a spoiler. The way that this series ends it makes the way they killed off Deadpool in issue 250 of the regular run look even more stupid. Oh, that's that's not a good thing. Well, no, I mean, let's just say, because Colin, he's a great runner, so the way he did it with Deadpool, to where, you know, Liz ends up having to take over, it made much more sense. Like, it wasn't like, it didn't leave me going, really? Really, like, you know, for as much as I say, okay, he's a guy who can't die, the way that, you know, the book ends, you can see it as, that makes sense, especially in this type of a world. Okay. And, right. you know, I mean, I mean, I'll go out and say right now, because it is a spoiler, I'll say spoiler alert, so fast forward a little bit, Deadpool does die in the end. But the way he does it is he pretty much sacrifices himself, and pretty much he goes to this chamber that can kind of like, you know, create a, ve- a cure or whatever like that. And so he gets out of it, and his body is just, beating the shit like it's he's falling apart he's starting to actually flake off a bit into the atmosphere wow and so he's going into this battle he's a couple of zombies and he just opens his mouth and his body just in, in the comic it says he fought so vigilantly and all of a sudden just like the dust of the other zombies he was gone so pretty much his body just flakes off and becomes part of the atmosphere because of the chamber he was put in to kind of help save everybody wow and I'm like, that's brilliant. That's how you end it. Like, if they did it at 250 or something like that, where that's how they killed him off, I would have been fine with that. Because I'm like, well, you know what? It's not some stupid sun gets pulled into the earth and he just gets disintegrated. It's like, he went out fighting. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. he didn't go out like, oh, I'm in a sailor suit. And, hey, what's that? Boom. And it's like, no, he went out fighting, man. And to the point where he just pretty much became dust. And then... then Liz, of course, takes over, puts on the suit, and says, you know what, I'm going to continue this fight against the other pools, pretty much. That's the way he should have gone out in the first damn place. Yeah, and so for me, this is since the series is over, it's still a pull, and it's a buy. It's only four books, and I believe it was a bi-weekly, and so it, I, I liked it, man. It was really, really well done. Um, I liked the art, I liked the way it ended, and it just it kept me engaged. It really, really did. Now, that's what I did this week. So, James, it's your turn. What'd you do? Well, it should be no surprise that uh, I finally went back to my DC roots here. Because Attaboy. we just had a convergence 
if you will, the conclusion of Convergence, which was, which was issue number eight, came out last week. And I got to tell you, there's a whole host of people that were involved in this comic. First of all, the writing was done by Jeff King and Scott Lobdell. Pencils were done by a whole bunch of people, including our buddy Ethan Van Shriver. Inks done by like five different people, including <laughs> Jason Paz and Scott Hannon. I don't want to list off everybody's names. I don't want this to be a listathon. So we'll have all, the, all those posted up on uh, facebook.com slash down and nerdy, or you can go to dccomics.com and get the entire list. Because basically, I don't want to go through the whole convergence run either, but I'll just reset it for you a little bit. And that Brainiac captured all of these worlds from different universes and placed them in one planet. And then a being named Telos was charged with choosing which worlds were worthy. And basically what he was doing, how he was doing that was making them fight it out. Yeah. Now, fast forward a little bit where you, they end up coming across a being named Deimos, or Demos, however you want to say it. And he kind of is playing the innocent, but you always know that there's something wrong with him. Turns out he wants to harness the power of time travelers to basically destroy absolutely everything. Yeah. So again, spoiler alert in issue number seven. You remember that scene in the Simpsons movie where it looks like they're going to be able to get the bomb out of the dome? Yeah. And then Homer slides down the rope and knocks the bomb back inside, mm-hmm. basically screwing everything up. Well, that reminded this comic reminded me of that when in issue number seven in Convergence, Parallax, yes, that Parallax from Hal Jordan, kills Demos. And basically dooms all of the worlds entirely because Brainiac says, well, you know, you had all the time travelers power harnessed in this guy. Now you just unleash it and it's going to rip all the universes apart. Thanks for that. Wow. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, it, the whole run was very confusing, yeah. but basically uh long story short, there are other, time traveling being still left wanting them being booster gold oh your favorite oh yeah i was just so excited when booster gold and uh, and his buddies decided to show up wave uh wave rider and gold star were also the other beings and they say no 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 there is a way to actually fix this problem is is that they had to summon brainiac to fix it so they have <laughs> to bring in brainiac to be able to undo everything because he can travel through all the different multiverses and kind of put so, everybody back where they're supposed to go. So it's kind of like, Hey, we're bringing back Brainiac to undo the things that Brainiac did. Pretty much. <laughs> you stop it right now. And you <laughs> think about what you did and you fix everything. Damn, Meanwhile, <laughs> kind of, Telos is kind of the, the guy that was kind of the antagonist through the first few issues is kind of like turned a new leaf. It's like Dick Grayson gave him therapy and all of a sudden <laughs> he wants to be a good guy now. And he wants to remember who he used to be. So he's the one that actually kind of helps bring Demos down, and then uh, he cap he captures Parallax because he thinks Parallax is being a huge dick, basically. Yeah. So Brainiac tries to undo everything, but here's the problem: he says the first crisis is too strong. I can't undo that, so I can't undo anything. What he's talking about is Crisis on Infinite Earths. I was about to say that. I was literally about to say it has to be Crisis on Infinite Earths. So basically, he says, if you guys go back, the Crisis on Infinite Earths universe, he said, you guys go back, and if you do exactly the way things are supposed to go down, Uh then that should fix everything. Meaning, Flash has to die, Supergirl has to die, all over again. But now they know they're going to die. Yeah. So... They're getting ready to go back, and Superman wants to go with them. Superman with wife and child, Lois Lane, by the way, hmm. says, I'll go back with you. And then Parallax decides, there's nothing left for me on my world. I'm going to go back with you instead. 
And here's the deal. When they do that, they actually undo Crisis on Infinite Earths. They change the timeline. Flash doesn't die. Supergirl (laughs) doesn't die. And they undo this issue. Spoiler alert. Undoes Crisis on Infinite Earths entirely. Like, (sighs) there's one of the comics I don't like. It's when they have a series uh, that they pretty much are going to use to reboot everything. And then they say, you know, we're going to do a brand new series called Convergence. They're just going to undo everything we did in the previous series. It's like, why? The thing, like, that, the thing that bugged me is, is that they undid something that didn't need to be undone. Right. That was the thing that kind of bugged me. I mean, I realized it was kind of a bummer when that happened, but it didn't really need to be undone. And then it looks like the Earth 2 people are going to have to be sacrificed. Spoiler alert, that doesn't happen. By the way, Earth 2 Batman does die. Thomas Rain dies during this run. So Dick Grayson is going to be the new Earth 2 Batman, it looks like, going forward. Uh, I gotta be honest. I, th- I like to think I'm a pretty smart guy. I think you'd agree with that. Yeah. Um, I was confused for a lot of this run. I didn't understand why I was reading what I was reading. I didn't understand really where they were going with it for a lot of time. And honestly, it felt like an Earth 2 book for the first six and a half, maybe even seven issues. And I'm like, this isn't Convergence because they they explain the Convergence in the beginning. Right. And, of course, there's tie-ins. So, unless you're reading the tie-ins, this is basically an Earth 2 story until the very end. Here's a, here's a question, too, is that it is an Earth 2 book. Uh, because of the all the tie-ins, I mean, there's tons of tie-ins to the main Convergence line. Do you feel that DC Prince said, yeah, in order to get the full story, you have to buy literally all the tie-ins and you can't just read the main run? I think that was part of it, but I think it was an interesting choice that DC decided to go with... Earth 2 is the main feature, I guess, group for the main run. And, I mean, they weren't just the feature group. They were the only group. I mean, you get to see inside a little bit of Deimos' world, and you also get a lot of Telos and, and, you know, a lot of Brainiac talk. And it was just, it was very, why am I, why are you doing this? Why aren't we bouncing in between worlds here? If it's a convergence, why are we only focusing on one world? So I think that was... A little bit of a misstep. And I'm not blaming the writers. I'm not blaming Jeff King and Scott Lobdell. I'm not really... I don't think it's their fault. I think it was whoever decided on the concept of the story. That's who I blame. So whoever did that, that's who I'm looking at and going, why? So, I mean, after Forever Evil, which I loved, uh, Trinity War was good. This one just kind of left me feeling like, eh. So I would say, unless you're a big Earth 2 fan, I'd skip it. Well, if you're a big Earth 2 fan or somebody who has literally has all the money in the world to buy all the right. tie-ins. And I'll, I'll be honest, some of the tie-ins were really good. The Justice League of America tie-in that Fabian Nicieza did was good. The Harley Quinn tie-in was good. There were plenty of good ones. I love the fact there was a Hawkman uh, a tie-in book. I loved that. But it just didn't seem... It didn't wow me. I wanted to be wowed. I wasn't wowed. There wasn't enough going on until the very, very end. And by then, I kind of lost interest. So if you're not a big fan of the Earth 2 books, and you, just, you could basically skip to the end and not be totally lost if you really just want to see the conclusion of what happens. So I would, I'd skip it. That's just my honest opinion. All right, well, that's going to do it for what we did this week. Of course, I did uh, issue number four of four for... Return of Living Deadpool. James did the end of Convergence. And again, that's going to do it for what we're reading. But come up next, we're going to Tomorrowland, James. We're going to the future. And this week in Geek Tames. So stay tuned. More Down Nerdy coming up next.
Think about what the movie theater is going to be like in the future. Robots bringing you your popcorn, automatic soda refills at your table. We are going to Tomorrowland, Nick. And don't forget, they'll finally put the butter on the milk duds. Yes, let's do that, Homer Simpson style. Sorry, sir, I can't put butter on the milk duds. Do it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's probably one of my favorite Simpsons references and moments of all time. But yes, we are talking about Tomorrowland, and actually James and I... This is the first movie we've actually seen together. Yes, we did. Yes, we did this time. (laughs) Yeah, so this, of course, is the new Disney film that came out a little while back, and it's directed by Brad Bird, and the script was done by Damon Lindelof and Brad Bird himself, and of course stars George Clooney, Britt Robertson, Hugh Laurie, and Rafi Cassidy. And first off, before we dive into the film itself, before we saw this, there was all these reports and all these ratings of people saying it's stupid, it's a bad film, I don't get, I don't get it. Oh, the script's terrible. We saw it and we left the theater of like we actually liked it. We don't understand why it's getting yeah, all the hate. I don't get it. I don't understand what is wrong with you people. What was wrong with this movie? I don't get why it was such a big to do. I I loved it. I'm yeah. just going to put that out there right now. Yeah, and, and I mean, the movie itself is visually stunning. It's beautiful. It I really mean, is. When you see Tomorrowland itself, now this is, of course, based in a sense on, on a ride slash true story esque from like the World's Fair and they had the whole Disney exhibit of Tomorrowland and well, everything else. Don't forget they had a Tomorrowland exhibit at Disneyland in 1955. And that's they what I meant. One up at the Magic Kingdom in 1971 as well. Yes, yeah, that's exactly what I meant. Is that they, it's actually based off of, as most Disney movies are in a certain sense, off of rides or certain right. events that they had. And when you, even when you watch the movie and you see the way that Tomorrowland looks from like a faraway shot, you can tell like it's meant to look like Disneyland in the future. Pretty much, yeah. And so, of course, the story follows uh, this girl named Casey Newton, who's played by Britt Robertson. She finds this pin who's given to her by... Rafi Cassidy, who is Athena, and pretty much when she holds the pin, she goes to what's called Tomorrowland, which is the future, and it's comprised of, if you've ever seen the show Eureka, and I turned to James during the movie, I said, this really does feel like Eureka in a mm-hmm. sense, and it is, it's based on the whole thing of, you know, like George Clooney says, he plays the guy named Frank Walker, who says, what if, you know, all of the Earth's greatest scientists and everything else, like all the great, smartest people pretty much com- combined into one place and created this sanctuary called Tomorrowland. And the way it starts off with George Clooney, you know, being a young boy, uh, you know, his first character, and he's going to the World's Fair and he's like, I got this invention and everything else. And I like that. Now, I can kind of see where people can kind of get turned away a little bit by it with when they introduce uh, Casey Newton, who, of course, is played by Britt Robertson. And mind you, they use all these scientific names like Edison and... You know, Tesla, Tesla there, yeah. and Jules yeah, Verne. Jules Verne. So, of course, her last name being Newton, I'm like, okay, there's an Isaac Newton reference as yeah, well. Yeah. But I actually thought that was going to tie back in. I thought we were going to find out who was like a distant relative or something. Yeah. That didn't quite happen. I I, th- I thought that was coming and it didn't. Yeah, part of me, but part of me kind of, in the beginning of the film with him, I was like, I like, like I know we don't, we, we have this thing where we're like, we don't like kids acting and stuff like that. I actually was like, you know what? This movie could be even. I mean, I like the movie, but maybe it could have been better, maybe a different way. Had they just said, "No, we're going to follow this kid going into Tomorrowland," and his 
whole adventures in a sense. You know, it's funny because when he straps on the jetpack, actually when he's in Tomorrowland and it gets fixed by one of the robots after he falls in there, uh, when he fa- finally fixes and gets flying, I don't know about you, but I get a real vo- Rocketeer vibe. Yeah. It felt very Rocketeer-esque when he was flying through the Tomorrowland city. I also got a big kick out of the fact that the entrance to Tomorrowland was in It's a Small World After All. Yeah. I really well, thought I thought that was great. You take the worst ride at Disney and you make it this awesome thing. Now you gotta wonder like, how many people are actually going to... like. Now everybody's going on that ride. Yeah. Everybody's like, can I get the pin and can I go there now? Yeah. I'd modify the ride if I was Disney. If you're yeah. wearing one of those pins and your little car drops to a different area, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, and, you know, so pretty much, she, she, you know, she's given this pin that takes Tomorrowland. She There's a big mystery surrounding it and, and what Tomorrowland is and how it's connected with the real world or very much a parallel a universe that she is in because Tomorrowland is pretty much a par- set in a parallel universe. It's so set she, in another dimension, basically. Yeah. yeah. And so she goes to find George Clooney, who, again, is Frank Walker, and he's older now and everything else you see from the trailers. And he's pretty much of one of those things where he used to be a believer and a thinker. Now he's just very much a narcissist of like, really, this was a, a dreamland and now it's it's not real anymore. Well, he's, and, he's more of a pessimist. Yeah. I think. And and I and they kind of threw him out. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, well, screw you guys. I'm going home, like Carson would say. <laughs> yeah, so he just, he just didn't care anymore. But he cared enough to keep monitoring them over in the other dimension. As a matter of fact... Uh, they kept talking about this thing that got created that should have never been created. And yeah. we kind of get an idea of what that is as the film goes on. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, you know, you see all these different things, like it takes place, you know, around the world and everything else. And the way that certain things are, it's really, really cool because, you know, you go back to a movie like National Treasure, where there's these certain things like you would see around like every day, like the Eiffel Tower or whatever. But then there's just some mystery behind it. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a thing that they do in Tomorrowland with the Eiffel Tower. We're not going to spoil what it is. But it's one of those things where, like, okay, when I go to Paris and I go visit the Eiffel Tower, I'm literally going to try to find this. You're going to you know? wonder now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And, I mean, that's the thing. It's just, like, there's a lot of mysteries surrounding it. And Hugh Laurie plays uh, Nix. And the thing with Nix is there's a point in the movie where, you know, you feel like, okay, he has a heart. But, you know, in the end, he's a bad guy. Mm-hmm. But you, it's one of those things. And, like I said, I told James this after – the the movie I said you know you knew the way the script was going to go like you can just beat for beat yeah. shot for shot knew how these events were going to occur you knew there was going to be a place where somebody was going to sacrifice somebody or sacrifice themselves and and whatever and they were end up being the savior and everything else and but you know what though like even with that like it was just the visuals and just you know just, you know it's one of those things where it made me happy to see a movie based on imagination. And yeah. take place around a person's imagination. And basically it was it was don't stop dreaming kind of thing too. Just yeah. because you've got an idea and everybody else might think, think it's stupid doesn't mean it is and it can actually make a difference. And it was basically one of those things where – and you could kind of get that underlying theme of uh, we're destroying our planet. We don't care. We just allow these things to happen and sit back because it's easier than trying to come up with a solution. And that was kind of a theme in the beginning. But then – the moral kind of was, what are we doing to fix it, and why aren't we thinking of ways to fix it? And that was the thing. It was like, let's find ways to fix this stuff. Because well, there was kind of a point in the movie where George Clooney says to, uh, to I can't remember her name now. Casey. Uh, Casey. He says to her, if I could tell you the date that you were going to die, would you want to know? 
Yeah. And she says, yes, because I would want to try and fix it. Yes. I would, I would do every, I would know that I would have time to be able to try undo it. And that's the kind of main theme instead of, Hey, let's be all doom and gloom about, Oh, we can't fix this. We can't fix that. The glaciers are melting. Uh, well then why, instead of bitching about it, aren't we just fixing it? Yeah. And that's what I'm glad. Like, that's, that's one thing I'll say about the movie that I liked is that, you know, Disney has done a bunch of environmental movies, like documentaries, like earth and everything else. And, you know, this is kind of, this is centered around, you know, what we're heading towards in real life, whether you're a person who believes in climate change or whatnot. But the fact of the matter is they didn't beat over the head with, they didn't beat over the head with the quote unquote liberal agenda of this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, the ice caps are melting, everything else. This was more of a central idea of, yes, these are bad, but what are we doing to fix these things that James pointed out? And that's what I liked about it. It wasn't one of these things where it hits you over the head with, if you don't, Turn off the lights and everything else. Right. You know we're gonna destroy the planet. No, it was like here's some alternatives we can do. Like why don't we create more thinkers and why? In, in true in real life, like why is science and math in real life being kind of you, looked down upon and not really evolved? And we're taking more of these opinionated theories. Really, you know what it really did is it put the spotlight. And a lot of movies don't do this. Not just movies that have agendas, but a lot of movies in general don't do this. It put a spotlight on optimism yeah and that's something you don't get a lot of it's like it's like kind of like kevin smith said why not yeah instead of asking why why don't you ask why not and that optimism and like you said that imagination and that dreamer's mentality was just such a huge theme throughout this and it was it was one of those deals where it's you know you can make a difference and everybody's got ideas and there was a recruitment process in this movie and they were looking for these dreamers and people with ideas and people that just went you know instead of why or well this is happening why not and why can't we find a way to get around it so that being the central theme of the movie and i think that there's you know there's a lot of other things you can look at with this too and another reason why i don't understand people don't like it there was humor in this movie we both laughed several times. Uh, there was plenty of action to go around. And the kind of, uh, the if you go back to the Matrix and the Mr. Smith guys, you had the uh, kind of candy-coated 1950s version of them in Tomorrowland where they're all smiling, but they're all still robots and they all still had one goal, and that was to kill you yep. kind of thing. So it was just, that, that was creepy and it was funny, but there was one particular scene that I want to talk about. Oh, yes, I know which one you're talking about. So... To find out where – she wants to find out more about these pins, Casey does. So she goes to Houston, Texas to a place called Blast from the Past because she sees one of them online. They were looking for one of these pins. So yeah. she walks into this place, which is a nostalgia shop basically, and there is oh, nerd oh, stuff oh. everywhere. Yeah, I want to say it's a nostalgia shop but for nerds. And what's the first thing you see when she walks in there, James? You see the flight suit for the Rebel Alliance from Star, Star Wars. Yes. And you see more, you see an R2-D2. You see a Stormtrooper yeah, outfit. You so see st figures on the wall. Yeah, you, not only that, but you see in the in later in the scene, one of the salespeople who's uh, uh, Peel from Cam Peel, or, or no, or Key, I believe his name is. Anyways, one of the guys, he, he's in there and he gets crushed by like this life-size carbonite Han Solo. Yes, which was awesome. It's like, wow, Disney's really taking the whole Star Wars thing and they are really just shoving it right out there the first opportunity that they get. And you know what kind of made me sad, though? There's one point where it turns out that these are not so great people that are running the shop, and they start shooting at her. 
But what they shoot is the comics. You shot the comics. <laughs> and I'm like, no, they're Silver Age at least, if not Golden Age. What's happening right now? Yeah, I'm just looking at that. I'm like, oh, man. And it was Maybe it was like, Disney shooting the Fantastic Four comics. Maybe. But it was at that point where we see all that great, like, old school nerd stuff. And when he comes out, the Star Wars theme plays. As well as things yes. like where Disney... Well, because remember, Disney is making a Star Wars park. Like, they're making a Star yeah. Wars uh, side of the park. So it's like, we're, they're going balls to all. Like, hey, we have Star Wars. Here you go. And uh, we went with uh, some people we worked with. And... Uh, one of the guys we work with looked at us and said, okay, guys, calm down. Because you could see on our faces. I kind of looked around the theater, too, is that the people we work with mm. were looking around, and they just saw, like, okay, these guys are, like, really into it. Yep, nerd, nerd joy was definitely had just then. Yeah. They're like, oh, wow, so Disney did keep all the props. Okay, good. Uh, you guys have got all the great stuff. And there's even a point where the R2-D2 turns on, and he kind of has the, the you know the beeping and the booping as he gets thrown at somebody during the fight scene. Er, with the beeping and the booping and the more. And and it was uh, it was just great. Yeah, that, that that one little moment of all the Star Wars stuff. It was like a nerdgasm times ten. Yeah, I mean that was great. But overall, let's get to our our ratings of this movie, James. I'll let you go first. Uh, so we're we doing this out of five or out of ten. Do that ten. Okay, I'm going to be totally honest, and I don't even care what anybody says. If you don't like it, you know, screw you. Um, I'm giving this an 8 okay. out of 10. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I actually said to you, because we were both going into this thinking that it might be bad because of all the bad reviews, and I actually looked at you and I said, if, it, if a half hour into this movie it sucks, I'm going to sleep. I yeah. literally said that to him before we started watching it. I was locked in. Yeah, no, you were, movie. you were you you were in your chair, sitting straight up, dude. Like you I was were locked into in. It. I wasn't looking at my popcorn. I was looking at the screen. Yeah. So I'm giving it an eight out of ten, and I have no apologies for that. I'm gonna go with you too. I'm gonna give it an eight out of ten. The only reason why it's an eight out of ten is because, like I said, with the script, you can for- easily foresee everything coming your way and everything's going to happen. I just want to give a quick shout out to Raffi Cassidy who played Athena, who did a really good job oh, for a child was actor. Awesome. Yeah, she, she was, was really awesome. Good. And she kicked some serious ass in the Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Brad Bird, you know, he's going to be doing the, I believe, Incredibles 2. Yep, that's his next one. That's his next one. Uh, you know, like I said, the only problem with the movie was, was the script, because like I said, you could easily see the beats they're going for. Well, and, it, dra- and, and, it dragged a little bit in parts, yeah, too. But I mean, like, well, I mean, like, there's, like I said, there's a scene where somebody sacrifices themselves for the greater good, and I just couldn't, there, just, there was not that emotional attachment you would have. Like, right. I didn't feel any emotion towards that scene. Uh, I didn't feel any emotion towards that scene. It was more the interaction between the two characters involved in the scene where I think yeah. the emotion was. But, the actual death, not so much. Yeah, but the reason why it's an A is because, like, visually it's really, really good. Uh, it's based off, like I said, the fact they took some of Tomorrowland and based off a movie and did something yeah. with it was great. Um, but the overall message, I think, is what gives it an 8 out of 10 yeah. for me is because... It spreads optimism. It spreads learning. Like, let's take this and go out and learn and have hope. It did, and it had. While it did have an agenda, it didn't beat you over the head with it. As it was telling you, do. don't shove the ideas that you have in the back of your mind because other people don't think they're good ideas. Exactly. You know, don't be afraid to express yourself and want to put that out there because you can make a difference. And that was the thing. Everybody can make a difference. 
It almost makes me wish there would be a limited run Tomorrowland comic, like you said, of just the kid going and being in Tomorrowland. I think that would be really cool. Maybe that's something Disney will do in the future, but the future is now past because we're going ahead now to nerd news right here on Down and Nerdy. This is comic book writer Nancy Collins, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, boys and girls. We travel around the internet and see what's trending because it's time for what, James? Nerd News! We're starting with some breaking news actually happened earlier this week. James Wan is going to be directing Aquaman, but not just Aquaman, though, James. He's also going to be directing the Robotech movie for Sony as well. And it's a really good choice. I mean, we were kind of wondering where they were going to go with Aquaman. We know it's not going to be out until July 27th of 2018, but what this tells me is that this is going to be a balls-to-the-walls, non-stop thrill ride for an Aquaman movie, which is exactly what I think they need. What this also tells me, I don't know, I have no inside information, but what this tells me is is that I don't think Black Manta is going to be the main villain. I think that they're going to go for Ocean Master. I think they're going to do the whole Orm thing, just like they did for uh, Throne of Atlantis. Well, yeah, because, I mean, if you read the little brief synopsis they gave you for the Aquaman movie, it's pretty much like... Kind of like Throne of Atlantis, where like he's kind of struggling between, you know, the ocean, the land dwellers, and you know they're polluting and everything else. And you know, I mean, I believe it's already established that he is Aquaman. He already is King of Atlantis in this movie. We'll see what he does with his brother. Uh, but here's the thing: I love James Wan getting the job for Aquaman to direct it because here's the thing: I saw. Furious 7, and I really, really did enjoy it. I thought the action was nonstop. It was great. And, you know, he did Saw, I did The Conjuring, so he can do that tension up. And you got to remember, too, Furious 7, say what you will about why it made this much money, but it made $1.6 billion worldwide. Exactly. I mean, I, I've, I've been one of the first people that says, you know, well, you know, Paul Walker's death, I'm sure, elevated that number. But how much did it elevate the number really you know people aren't gonna just go see it oh it's paul walker and it's his last go around and they're gonna make a nice tribute no people don't see movies just for that okay john candy's last movie was canadian bacon and nobody saw that okay right. everybody loved john candy so nostalgia is only going to be or, or uh, tribute's only going to be a small part of it this movie made money because it looked good it had a lot of action and people wanted to see it and i think that's exactly the point here this guy knows what he's doing well also he was taking over for justin lynn and people were probably interested to see how he was going to take over for him because you know, he's he's mostly before this well before furious seven did like i said saw conjuring you know low budget horror films now here's the most important thing i think of this and i'm going to kind of has some inside information a little bit, at least just to some of my thinking about this. He's also going to oversee the development of the script, which is being written by Kurt Johnstadt, who did 300 and the shitty sequel, 300 Rise of an Empire. That's what scares me the most about this, is that uh, Johnstadt is writing the script. However, the fact that Juan is overseeing it, we don't know how much intake he's going to have on it, but we'll see. Now, here's the interesting thing, though, I want to tell you about, James. Remember how we're kind of talking off air about this, about who really is the Kevin Feige of DC Universe. I think it is Zack Snyder, because Charles Roven, Deborah Snyder, and Zack Snyder are producing Aquaman. And from the looks of it, Snyder is producing pretty much almost every DC mm-hmm. film. So I think Snyder, scary as it is, at least for my part, is overseeing DC's cinematic universe. Well, I mean, the knock on Snyder is his is his use of female characters, which, I mean, how much heat is Marvel taking for that right now? So as great as, as Feige is, 
they're taking a lot of heat for that right now too. So the same argument that's made against Snyder is kind of the same argument you can make with Marvel right now if you wanted to compare the two universes. But at least we know that as far as Aquaman goes, there aren't too many female characters in the Aquaman universe. Of course, you've got Queen Mary, you've also got Aquaman's mother, but there aren't a whole lot of female characters. Even Aqualad is is a is a teenager slash man, whatever you want to call him. So that in in this respect, I don't really worry about it. I worry about it with stuff like Wonder Woman, or as we go forward and we start to introduce characters like maybe Supergirl, or if they decide to put a Black Canary in one of these movies at some point, that's when I'm going to start to get a little nervous. But as far as what he does for this particular project, I'm not worried. Right, and I also want to mention that, like I said earlier, that Juan is also, he also, like, first the same day, locked up uh, the directing duties for Sony's Robotech, which is based off, of course, the 1980s anime, which is featuring mechas, so... We'll see how that goes. That's pretty, you know, James Wan, he's had a good amount of success. But, I mean, Furious 7 just goes to show, man, that those Fast and Furious movies, they'll launch your career oh, yeah. tenfold. You know, even if you're already popular, they'll still launch it even more. And I, like I said, I'm excited to see where he goes with this. I'm excited to see, I, I'm actually, you know, I'm very excited to see a live-action Aquaman movie being made. I'm stoked for it. I've been waiting for this for a long time. And, you know, as far as James Wan goes, He's the guy, he's like the hot name, yeah. you know, and don't, and you want to lock up the hot name as quickly as you can. And I think that they definitely raced to do that. And I'm glad that they grabbed somebody with legit action experience to take on this movie. Now, what might not be so great is what's going on with Disney and Tron three, or is it not gone after all? Well, first of all, here's the thing I want, before we get into the story itself, to the media outlets who literally, I swear to God, every media outlet had the same header of Disney pulls a plug on Tron 3. Now, James, I know you're a pun lover, but that at least, seeing that on, on every fucking story headline made me want to – it really pissed me off. So I'm like, do you not Dude, have any creativity anymore? I have standards. I might love puns, but I have standards, okay? Uh-huh. I would not go there. That's too easy. I mean, at least be creative with it. I mean, it, come on. It's kind of like that song, like, uh, from the old Dr. Dr. Pepper commercial. I will do anything for puns, but I won't say that. That's right, exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know why they decided to do that. And as we get into the story now... I don't know why they're doing this either, but I'll let you give them the information so my head right. doesn't explode. Okay, so uh, on Friday, which was last Friday, word got out that Disney was canceling Tron 3. Of course, it was confirmed over the weekend. So, you know, Tron Legacy, despite, you know, making a good amount of money, you know, made over $400 million worldwide, uh, it did, however, cost $170 million to make. Now, you got to remember, too, we also reviewed Tomorrowland earlier in the show, and it also had a hefty price tag, and from apparently it's not doing so well at the box office either. So Disney is kind of like, you know what, let's just scrap it. You know, I, I think we're going to see less budget films. But, of course, as dumb people do, a petition from Change.org was created. First of all, has there ever been a petition from Change.org that actually meant something? I don't know, man. I don't even know what they do over there. <laughs> so was, the guy's name's Lucas Lohman who started the, the Tron 3 petition because we all know when you petition a studio to make a movie that was canceled, it actually works. 
Uh, he wrote, and this is quote for quote, word for word, Tron Legacy grossed over $400 million and helped more fully realize the world created in the original Tron. It's a shame that Disney has elected not to move forward with a third Tron film as the universe is ripe to be explored. Sign this petition so we may show Disney that the grid is too great to never be shown again oh. and to prove that Flynn lives. They also will use the hashtag Flynn lives, which makes you want to throw up my own mouth. Loman is actually looking for at least 15,000 signatures. As of right now, he has over 11,000. 15,000? I don't even think that's the amount of people who saw Tron Legacy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm and, gonna... Yeah, with that, I'll let you take the floor, Mr. Witham. I'm going to start off slow. Okay. Here. First of all, Tron it wasn't that great. Okay? The first one wasn't that great. Tron Legacy wasn't that great. It was okay. It was eh. It's Tron. This yeah. is Tron. We're not talking about some major established property like Batman or something, you know? This is Tron, not Iron Man. So it, to, to try and go to this length to save a third, by the way, third Tron movie is kind of ridiculous. And not only that, here's and, and now now I will go with this. Not everything needs a petition, okay? <laughs> Petitions used to mean something. They don't mean anything anymore. And they're not creative. When they canceled Jericho at CBS, right. people were outraged. So outraged, they sent bags of peanuts by the thousands to CBS headquarters. And that got their attention. And granted, we only got one more season of Jericho, but at least it added a little bit of closure, and they ended up doing a comic or graphic novel later on to give a little bit more closure after that. But that was creative. This will do nothing. The fact that it got any headlines at all stuns me beyond belief. I'm all, I know that news days have been slow, but to attach to something like this is ridiculous. If you're a fan of the Tron movies, more power to you. I, I liked the game. The movie was just okay for me. I didn't hate it, didn't love it. It was just okay. But to go to this length for a third movie that doesn't need to be made at all is absolutely a gigantic waste of time. Yeah, I mean, you look at it, now go back to Tron Legacy. The only thing I really liked about Tron Legacy was, yes, it was beautiful. But when you live in the days we do, and I understand there are still some bad CG, but you can do that with make those types of worlds. And it did look... Really, really beautiful. Light cycle scene looked awesome. Oh, however, yeah, no doubt. however, it was not a good film, and I'm sorry, but the only good thing about that movie that I liked, other than the whole light cycle thing, because they're freaking light cycles, is that Daft Punk did the whole soundtrack. That's the only thing I liked about Tron Legacy. And I agree with you, James, that not everything needs a petition or even needs saving. For example, uh, look at Hulu, what they did with like the Mindy Project and everything else. Mindy Project got canceled by Fox, and I've never watched Mindy Project. But I'm just no, using this. Either. I'm just using this for an example. And Hulu said we, you know, we stepped in, we saved it. But you look at a show like Constantine, which is really good. When has nobody stepped up to save it yet or, nope. or pick it up? You know, part of me looks at this and says, "Are we getting to that day and age where things are not too big to fail?" But we just, we're afraid to let things fail. Like, we're afraid to let things be canceled. That's it. Like, I'm afraid that we're going to have all these shows, like, from, that canceled from, like, the major networks. All of a sudden, you know, Hulu or Yahoo are going to pick it up and give it the quote, unquote, saving treatment. Like, community. Yahoo saved community after it got canceled from NBC. And I'm sorry, it's not good. 
It's not. It has no, been good. It's not. It has been good since like Chevy Chase and 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 you know Harmon left the first time, and you know, and you had uh, Donald Glover leave. You know, and a lot of people are talking about that. Like, you know, you get to the point where, what's it going to do? Are you going to make a movie now? Now I was talking about saying, well, we're going to do another season. Because the original, no, the original plan was six seasons in the movie. We're going to do it in seventh season. It's like, nah, dude. No. Well, I mean, you could bring Netflix into the conversation, too, because they, they've saved shows like The Killing. Right. And I think uh, The Fall, I think, was another show that they saved, which is a, which is a British drama. And how's that working out for them? Not so great. I mean, Netflix's original programming is way better then the stuff it's saving. I just don't think everything needs saving. And, and Constantine's a good, a good example because Constantine was different. Constantine was a, okay, I want more. Yeah. And we're not the only people that are saying that. But No, there was a whole Save Constantine movement that we've been plugging. But there was no weeks. petition, though. You don't need yeah. one of those. There's hashtag. You want to do a hashtag campaign? Knock yourself out. I just yeah. think petition is ridiculous because petitions used to actually mean something. Petitions were a means to execute change in society. Yes. <laughs> you don't need to execute change in bringing in a third Tron movie. If they'd never made a Tron movie, okay? Yeah. And you wanted to make a big fuss about how there should be a Tron movie. Or if they never made Legacy and we had that just that 80s Tron movie to go by and you want him to make another Tron movie even that I think it'd be okay with but to go to do to this length for a third movie that doesn't need to be made I don't get that at all yeah I think the only petition that really mattered when it came to movies was you know Back to the Future when you wanted to save the clock tower that's the exactly. only petition that made sense and that was back in 1985 yeah. when people were still doing walk around petitions that you actually had to sign yeah man I mean here's the thing it's just like I said we'll get to our next story in a second but I'm sorry but look at Disney like Dis like the thing is, too, is you gotta understand who you're petitioning to. Exactly. Yeah. You're petitioning Disney. Disney. They Good own. Luck with that. They're gonna own the universe. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, you're. It's not. It's kind of like being that small town guy. It's, and you know what it is? It's the okay. The Simpsons movie. It's the scene where Chief Wiggum and the Doctor and another person are are standing. I think uh, Skinner or somebody. Uh, they're standing in, in Mr. Burns's office and they're trying to pretty much uh, convince him to give them all, you know, share his energy so the town can have electricity and stuff like that. And that's pretty much, oh, it was Apu. And uh, uh, that was the third guy. And so they're trying to convince him, and Mr. Burns is Disney, and also he ends up releasing the hounds on because it's just like, yeah, go, go away. I think it's funny this is the second time we've referenced the Simpsons movie in this show. <laughs> that'll, ever ha- that'll ever happen again. But, I mean, like you said, if you're not coming at Disney with at least a bare minimum of 100,000 signatures, you're wasting your time. Yeah. So 15,000 is not – that's a drop in a bucket to Disney. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Like I said, we'll – you know, I, I don't think trial will be picked up. But speaking of getting no. picked up, DC is picking up an entirely new comic universe, which actually they have to because Convergence is over. So they have to reboot everything. And, well, they decided to – I don't really understand the name. They decided to name this new run DCU. Y-O-U. I understand what they're doing. I just think it's stupid. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's really stupid. So a little bit of background on it. The, the DCU initiative, uh, which kicked off actually uh, on Wednesday this week, will, uh, will highlight four main themes. Characters, talent, stories, and fans. Now, 
Well, celebrating iconic characters like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. Uh, they're also going to have feature creators like Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, Jeff Johns, and Annie Wu. They also have some new comics, like some new characters getting their own comics or, or characters from past runs who are getting their own spinoffs in a sense. And I'm gonna, I want to run through them really quick, James, before I, uh, we get to the whole your take on them calling it DCU and everything else. So... The new titles, uh, they actually kind of split them up. There's a video, like, five minutes. They kind of split up the sections that they're going for in their comics. Like, they got, like, a comedy section. They have an action section. They have something that's called, like, a hashtag series, which is kind of, like, for young adults and so on and so forth. So comedy comics you have come out. You have Bizarro. You have Harley Quinn, Starfire, and Batmite. Action, you have Justice League, Batman, uh, which is where Jim Gordon is Batman. Nobody knows where Bruce Wayne is. Uh, Green Lantern, which I'm actually kind of excited about. However, the take on him uh, being an outlaw renegade, I don't get because how can you have willpower but be an outlaw at the same time? Mm-hmm. Uh, Wonder Woman, Robin, which is uh, uh, the Damian Wayne spinoff, Robin, son, son of, of Batman. Batman. Yeah. Superman, which is now where he's outed as Clark Kent. Uh, the Flash and Justice League of America. Now, the young adult, the hashtag series, uh, you have Prez, which is about a 19 year old girl named Beth Ross, who's president of the USA via being voted in by Twitter. God forbid, I, I, I fear for the day that happens when we use Twitter the way to vote. Kim Kardashian would be president. Oh, don't say that. Uh, Gotham and Gotham Academy. The, now, they have the, the future series, the future runs. Uh, one of them is Batman Beyond, which I'm actually excited for because Red Robin is now wearing the cowl. Mm-hmm. And then you also have Omega Man as well coming out. And then new series, which is pretty much, you know, the side characters finally getting their own series. Uh, well, Batgirl, of course, is getting back into the fray, following up her uh, run that she had in the New 52. Black Canary, who is uh, Dana Lance, is going to be getting her own comic. We Are Robin, which is pretty much, uh, looks to be a group team-up of, Robins, maybe past Robins or so on and so forth. Uh, you have Cyborg, you have Grayson, who I know you're James, you've read Grayson, uh, a few issues of that. Midnighter, Deathstroke, and All-Star Section 8. Um, it's very interesting, some of these runs. Uh, Midnighter's actually, that's going to be a spinoff of a character that's been in Grayson. Uh, so that's where that's coming from. Uh, what a lot of people don't realize with some of these books, and I'm not sure exactly how many of them are going to be this way. I know Bizarro is one, for example. Uh, some of these are going to be limited issue runs of like six issues. Right. Which I think is very smart because let's face it, when you give a guy like Bizarro his own comic, you don't really, I, I don't think you can imagine in any any universe where that would be successful long term. So make it a short run. And if it works, bring it back for another short run. I think that, DC has kind of looked at the smaller publishers, your Boom Studios, your Dynamites, uh, and even uh, Image to a certain respect, and said, what's working for them? What's drawing our readers over to their side? And I think a lot of it, and I don't know how much you'd agree with this and our listeners would, are these limited series uh, runs that a lot of the companies are putting out now, like Justice Inc. that you read was that limited series run with uh, The Shadow and uh, the, the, Avenger. the Avenger and um, Doc Savage. Yep. And that was really good. So what happened? Well, now there's another one that just came out this Wednesday. They're going to do the spinoff with the Avenger, just like uh, this that series ended. I think that this is a smart move. And I think that there's a couple that I'm looking forward to uh, more than the others. I think the Batman Beyond is a, is a good one. I've actually got Black Canary in my poll already because I want to see how that turns out. 
Uh, Robin's son of Batman. I'm actually, I might get into Wonder Woman now. Yeah. I'm looking for that spot. This might be a good one. They're still going to do Deathstroke, which I like that they're sticking around with. I think that even though I'm not a huge fan of the character, giving Cyborg his own comic is is a smart move because I think there's a lot of people that are fans of that character. Now, I'm going to point out one that's non-superhero related that you mentioned that I actually think has a pretty decent chance, and that's Prez. Yeah. Think about it for a second. The President of the United States being voted for by Twitter. Yeah. And she's the President as a 19-year-old. You know, that's going to cause a whole lot of problems depending on how they want to go with the book. I like the creativity in that. I think that young adults, especially maybe even young girls, will gravitate towards that. And how often do we say stuff like, there's not enough comics for kids, or there's not enough comics for young adults? Well, it looks like the way DC's breaking things up, that's exactly what they're trying to do. I think Dark Side War and Justice League 41 that's going to be starting is going to be off the friggin' charts. I cannot wait for that. Eventually, we'll find out what happens with Bruce May- Bruce Wayne in the Batman series. Of course, you know he was buried along with the Joker at the end of the Endgame run. Mm-hmm. So, we know that things are going to progress. The only thing that I'm sad to see is, once again, Superman. I don't see that they're going a good direction with Superman. And I don't think Superman comics have been good for a long time. Yeah, well, the thing with Superman, like I say, he's outed now. People know he's Clark Kent, and I believe it's because... Uh, Lois Lane outed him. Yeah, actually. she did out him, and then she tried to apologize for it, and he wouldn't hear it. Now, here, here's some of of my, of my things. Like I said, you know, yeah, Justice League, Dark Side Wars, you just mentioned. I'm not gonna lie, I'm not excited about Batman because it's it's uh, hard. Yeah, and, and it's gonna be one of those things where like, you're I gonna like... need to give it an issue just to see what they do, and then by the next issue, I think you'll know where they're gonna go, and that's right. how you can decide whether or not you're gonna be in on it. Well, it's because, like, Jim Gordon's Batman is, like, I think if you did, like, you know, somebody else's Batman, not Damien per se, but, like, you know, Dick Grayson as Batman, you know, or something like that. You know, make, I know Grayson's got his own comic, but, you know, still, you I kind of separate two series, they, just two worlds. I understand they've kind of done that already, though, with, with Grayson taking the cowl. I understand. Right. And, they, and then that screws up Grayson. Which they they have a lot of faith in, and it's actually been pretty good. Grayson's actually. Or I'd like to see, let me like, oh my god, here's something I'm surprised they haven't done, which is a Red Hood comic. Well, they're doing Red Hood and Arsenal. Don't forget. Oh, that's right. They've got that team up, up. and they did Red Hood and the Outlaws uh, as well, but that wasn't so good. But Red Hood and Arsenal, I'm actually pretty stoked for a couple that they didn't mention because they're not really part of the DCU line. Right. Are 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 that, and then they've got Doctor Fate coming out as well. Well, here's here's something I want to talk about is uh, when I watch the videos, like I said, the five minute videos, just like some of the titles that are released with the whole DCU thing. When they're describing Wonder Woman, it says, "Oh, she's facing somebody who is the anti Wonder Woman." Yeah, it's Donna Troy, which is what they're doing in the Finch Run, you know. <laughs> right. I mean, so, they, they've done I the mean, whole Donna Troy thing before, so that yeah. should be no surprise. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I'm a huge Green Lantern fan. I love Green Lantern. He's my favorite DC character. You know, I just couldn't get into the current Green Lantern run because it wasn't as appealing. It wasn't, wasn't good. good. It was not good. New Fifty Two Green Lantern. Uh, I like the. I was his. I like his new look that they gave for him. We'll see how he does. Like I said the whole being a Green Lantern good guy, being an outlaw now is kind of weird. I was maybe maybe because they're doing this, uh, the Sinestro run, they didn't want to give him the yellow ring or even yeah. the red ring, you know? I th- my guess is they're going to explain why they're doing this in yeah. the first issue. There's There's got to be a reason that they're going to go this route. Remember, Hal Jordan just came back in the Justice League run. 
But I'm actually really excited. I'm not going to lie. Uh, you know, Flash is great, too. I'm actually, I'm not going to lie. I'm very excited about All-Star Section 8. <laughs> yeah, because it's, like, the worst team ever. Is yeah, the way and, that they and, and Section 8, I think it's probably, you know, Section 8 housing. So oh, it's of course, probably, yeah. So it's, it's, you know, these overweight, you know, poor heroes. It's, you know, the way they drew them. And it's just, like, it's kind of like, remember the movie from, I believe, it was in the 90s or late Early two thousands, Mystery Men. Yeah, yeah, it's I know. Exactly it's what kind you're of like about. that, yeah. but everybody's just a slob. <laughs> yeah, that's about right, actually. So, I mean, I can't wait to see. Like I said, you know, Batman Beyond. I can't wait to see. You know, now Red Robin's wearing the cowl. I really, really can't wait to watch that and, and see how that unfolds. Now, something that we're going to be watching, James, because you know, been announced this week too, is a Mega Man series. A new Mega Man series is uh, being created that's expected to debut in twenty seventeen. To of course celebrate the Man in Blue's 30th anniversary. Capcom announced uh, earlier this week. Now, details are light and pretty tight at the moment, but Capcom will partner with Japanese company Densu Entertainment. Uh, they're going to produce a 26-episode series. Now, Densu, uh, which will own the worldwide broadcasting licensing rights, has enlisted the help of Man of Action Entertainment to write and create the series. Now, remember, uh, I do like the fact that they're given 26 episodes because there was the Mega Man series from 94 to 95. They had two seasons. They were both, uh, they had 27 episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually think that this is another in a long line of video game characters that are coming back into the fold in animation. I don't understand why we're not doing this more. Yeah, I mean, give. I mean, I know that there's there's a lot of cartoon networks out there. The problem is, is that there's so much rerun content on these on these channels. It's like once the cartoon networks of the world find something that works, man, do they stick with it and they run the hell out of it. So yeah. I would like to see stuff like this get more and more pronounced. As a matter of fact, we've got a little bit of breaking news right now. According to Comic Book Resources, it looks like Dragon Ball Super is going to premiere July the 5th, which is a Sunday on Fuji TV in Japan. So there's another thing that they're bringing back that we've talked about before as well. They're bringing back a Dragon Ball Z series for the first time in 18 years. But Mega Man's one of those characters you look at and you're like, man, there's so many different villains and there's so many different directions you can go with this. This you could easily squeak out twenty six, twenty seven episodes. You know, I know something funny. Talk about Fuji TV for a second. When I was younger, I used to actually get that somehow on my television when I was a little kid, and it was it was all Japanese. So I don't understand what they were saying, but I watched it because they would have literally for, I don't know how, they, how, but maybe it's just like a release, like a timing release thing. They would like the, their Dragon Ball Z episodes. They would air were probably like stuff you would see, like. Two weeks later on Toonami, like so they had a head start on like the ones that Toonami aired. So like you immediately you're like being in Frieza Saga. All of a sudden you see that they're in Cell Saga on Fuji TV. So I'm like, oh, um, I can't understand them, but uh, I'm very intrigued right now. But I think that when you look at the Mega Man series, I think it's going to be hand drawn animation. I don't think it'll go the 3D the 3D route. Um, I know that's the way that a lot of things are going nowadays. But knowing that this is going to be Japanese produced and everything else. Uh, uh, I think they're gonna stick to that type of animation, and I- I'm excited for it. I'm well, I-, I can't wait. I mean, think about it. These are the same people that did for Mega Man, the same people that did Big Hero Six, and look how that worked out. Yeah. So I mean, I think that that that's another reason to be really excited 
about the direction of the series. And that's just one of the long lines of, I think animation is going to get a nice rebirth here in the next year or two. And I think we're going to see a lot of great content, but speaking of great, we have one of the best interviews, if not the best interview we have ever had on this show. Fabian Nicieza, co-creator of Deadpool and writing legend will join us next on down and nerdy. Hey listeners, this is Peter Shinkoda from Daredevil. I play Nobu, and you are listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, nerds, we've had a lot of great guests on this podcast, but when a legend stops by the show who created my all-time favorite comic character, it's truly a nerd's dream come true. And with that introduction, and before I really do start to fanboy out here even more, our guest this week is, of course, legendary comic book writer and co-creator of Deadpool, Fabian Nicieza. Fabian, how are you doing so far, man? I'm doing really well, guys. How are you? Good, good. Fantastic. Uh, I just want to thank you for coming on the show today, man. We met you, of course, at Taiwan Comic Con a couple weeks ago and talked to you for a little bit there. And you said, hey, let's connect through Skype and uh, let's come on the show. So, again, we just want to thank you for coming on, man. And I'm just so happy right now to have you on. I'm very glad to hear it, and I'm glad that you're a big fan of Deadpool. Yes. <laughs> That's putting it mildly. Yes, right now. putting it mildly. It just puts you among that 10, 20% of the population that probably should be incarcerated. That's all. <laughs> His percentage might be a little higher, but we'll talk about that later. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, Faye, what have you been up to, man, lately? How has your week been? How has it been since Taiwan Comic Con a couple weeks ago? Uh, everything's been fine. I, a lot of the usual, going into the city, in New York City, a couple days a week for working on non-comic stuff. And then just kicking my ass in doing doing yard work. So there you go. That's, that's been just about it. Oh boy, the the pain that we all feel. Yeah, and I've been uh, pretty pretty in deep now with the um, the Secret Wars X Men Age of Apocalypse uh, five issue limited series. Uh, we're we're pretty we're pretty much in the in the real grind now in terms of, of getting it all done and getting it all out. Uh, so I've been working a lot on on you know. <laughs> Polishing off or, or touching up scripts based on the art that's come in, and and preparing uh, final scripts for the last couple uh, of books. So when Marvel said that they like they, they're bringing back Secret Wars because they had the earlier Secret Wars back in the eighties, I believe it was. What was like your original reaction? Like they're bringing back Secret Wars, or and they're doing it, you know, this time around. Well, it, it didn't get it didn't it didn't land on me like you know an unexpected you know anvil or anything like that walking down the street because the way that it happened is that um, I saw Mike Martz, who was the editor at the time on the X books. He'd just come over from uh, to back to Marvel after being at DC for years and having done a great job on the Batman books for which I'd done a lot of work on doing Robin and Red Robin and, and, and things like that. Um, so I saw Mike at New York Comic Con last October, and he told me that they were percolating something, and he wanted me to be involved in it, and it was going to be a big event, and he wanted me to be involved in one of the side series. He just got, had to get all his ducks in a row editorially to make sure that that was all going to work out. And then he stayed in touch. So every couple of months, he said, "We're getting closer. It's cool for you to do this internally. So, um, so once we're ready, we'll talk." And and they don't like to divulge too much too early to the writers for fear of of people blabbing. So, so when the time was ready for the actual work to begin, is when Mike told me what it was going to be uh, and, and how it was going to work. And, and I thought it was a really interesting idea. One of the first things out of my mouth is that it, it, it can't be original age of apocalypse 
because as far as I know, I, I know that Marvel did some other things 10 years ago and, and whatever with that world, but I had no understanding whatsoever of how it could have it could ever be original Age of Apocalypse because that world ended. And he said, no, no, we're totally cool. It's, it's basically an alternate world that is derived from the original Age of Apocalypse concepts, but because it's taking place on Battleworld during Secret Wars, it's very much its own thing. So I, I felt a lot of freedom that I could draw from concepts and ideas and characters that we did in the original, but I could tell a, a very, very different story with those characters. And that's pretty much exactly what I'm doing. It's funny that you talk about Secret Wars because you're probably one of the few, very few, that actually worked on Secret Wars and DC's Convergence that came out recently. Of course, you did the Justice League of America, you did Titans as well, and Superboy. So what was it like and how fun was it to work with universes like a pre-crisis Gotham or even work with like the Detroit Justice League after all these years? It was a tremendous amount of fun. Uh, I, I had a great time doing each of those three books. I know Frank Thierry was pretty proud of himself because he thought he was the only one who was doing a Convergence and a Secret Wars thing. And then I had a... <laughs> you one-upped him. I shot him. I shot him down on social media within like five minutes, saying, "Sorry, I'm not the only one." And I, um, actually, <laughs> books, and I did three conversions books. Um, so we had, we had a game of "Can you top this?" I, I liked I like working on my convergence stuff a lot. Now I got to be honest; I may not have enjoyed it as much if if the storylines had been too intertwined with the core series because I have a feeling that that would have taken away quite a lot of the enjoyment for me. But from my particular standpoint, uh, I was given Titans as an assignment and I basically talked my way into Dan DiDio offering me two other assignments, which they had not originally had me uh, scheduled for, which was Superboy and Justice League uh, of America. Wow. And I did all, I was doing, we want, everybody wanted to work on this plot Marvel style. So it was plot first, get the pencils going and then do the script as opposed to working full script, which a lot, a lot more people do now. Um, so I, I got to do plot first, which is how I had basically grown up in the industry and worked that way for 15 years. The last 10 years has been all full script for the most part. Um, so I got to work plot first, which is a very fast, easy and an almost relaxing way for me to work. I did all six plots by last August. The The main first issue of the main Convergence limited series hadn't even been scripted yet, and I was done. All I had to do was wait for the art to come in and then script off of the, off of the art I was getting. And Ron Wagner, who was such a professional, had both of his Titans books done by, like, September. So he and I were finished with Titans months ago. We actually ended up having to change the ending of issue number two in order to have it coincide or tie in with stuff happening in the main Convergence book, and we did that just like a couple months ago. So I didn't wow. even look at that book or touch that book for four or five months before we had to do some rewrites on, and redraws on number two. Um, but even that was very painless. The, the, it changed my story, but I thought in, in many ways it changed it for the better, so I was okay with it. 
and and it was a real pleasure to get to work on those books. Getting to write Carl Kiesel and Tom Grummet's Superboy was a lot of fun for me because I I always liked that character as a reader. Um, getting to write R Ralph Dibney and Sue is is something that I don't know I don't know how many writers are going to get the chance to write those two characters together again. Certainly, no one has for years, you know. Um, so I, I liked it a lot. It was a tremendous amount of fun because for me it was like getting to write books and characters that I thought I'd never get a chance to because they no longer existed. You know what I mean? Oh, oh exactly. Exactly. I mean, there are some characters, you know, maybe have, limit, you know, not a lot of popularity, but you just love them and you want to do an arc or a story about them. And it's really great seeing that you got a chance to do that. Uh, so that brings up one of my other questions, Fabian, is that what's one character or story arc that you haven't done yet or worked on that you would love to do? Oh, there's 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 a lot. If you're talking about the mainstream, if you're talking about the big two companies, Marvel and DC, that the, there's lots of characters I've always I would love to have a, a a legitimate run on super a Superman book. I would love to get a chance to write Hawkman. Uh, I'd love to get a chance to write Adam. I'd love to get a chance to write Dick Grayson in, in any form, whatever form he takes. Um, and I still would really enjoy an opportunity to write uh, Tim Drake and Red Ro as Robin or Red Robin again. And at Marvel, the the ones that have always got away from me at Marvel was an opportunity to get to write a regular Captain America or Doctor Strange book. And I don't anticipate any of these are ever going to happen at this point in my career, but those are characters that I always wish that I'd had an opportunity to get to write. I'm going to be honest. I would read the hell out of a Fabian Nicieza Hawkman run. Yeah, I think that would be awesome. I appreciate that. Hawkman's a, a character I've wanted to write since college, and 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 I've always had a lot of really interesting ideas for him. And I really do think that I would I would write a, a very very interesting book. I, I'm not saying it, it would sell. I'm not saying it would you know win Eisner awards. All I know is that it, the, the experience I have writing very intelligent, very strong, very arrogant male characters. Whatever I've ever done with Cable or with Zemo or with any villain or whatever like that, you could boil all that down and wrap it up into a nice little package and you'd have Hawkman. <laughs> yeah, I was going to save this question for later, but since we've brought up so many characters, I, I got I to gotta ask it now. Uh, who would be on your superhero Mount Rushmore? Wow. Um, wow, that's an interesting question. Um, never had that one asked before. I, I've, who's your favorite heroes? But to me, a favorite hero is very different than Mount Rushmore. I got to be honest, it would probably be Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Captain America. Wow. That's honestly the first time, Fabian, that somebody's actually put Wonder Woman Wonder on Woman, her yeah. Rushmore. Well, I don't understand how you couldn't. She was the first major female character, and she's been an iconically recognized character across the world for 70 years. So to not put her there is kind of silly because she she's, she's, has way too important a place in comics history to, to ignore my uh, if I weren't going to put Wonder Woman there, quite frankly, I'd put Robin there because he was the first teen sidekick character, and 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 he he spawned an entire kind of subgenre of character, you know. Oh, exactly. I mean, that's the thing is that you, like I said, bringing back to my previous comment about characters that might not have uh, a uh, a light shine on them, like we have now, like with Robin and Wonder Woman and everything else. Lately, with the movies and everything else, it's such—it's awesome to hear those names 
on the Ram, Ram Rushmore. So I'm glad that like James, you know, that's why we asked these questions because you know you never know who you're gonna get on on the Mount Rushmore. That's right. You never know. And so you know, as everybody knows, you're the co-creator of Deadpool. So how when going back to when you first created him alongside with Rob, when Deadpool first got started, was he the first character you and Rob thought of doing together? And why no. do no? We we weren't working that way at that point. I was brought on. Rob was going to be assigned the book as the the plotter and the penciler and, and the inker. I think he was inking himself too. Um, and he, the reason he was going to be given the book is because he and the previous writer were starting to clash in terms of the direction they wanted to take the book. Rob's all of the enthusiasm and ideas that Rob had were not were not exactly the the way she had seen the book and had written the book. But the editor made a decision that he wanted to go with Rob's approach because mm-hmm. he felt it was just going to be more energetic to the book and better for the title. And Rob wanted me to script because we'd, we'd become friendly and, and um, knew of each other's works from before he was even doing Hawk and Dove. And he lived in California and I lived in New Jersey, so the only real opportunities we got to, to see each other once or twice a year in conventions or talk on the phone. But, but we, we both wanted to work together on something, and, and he wanted me to, to script over his uh, penciled pages of the book he was going to be plotting. So I had a real vague idea of, of what his plans were going to be for that first issue, which was New Mutants 98, but I, I, didn't, I, I got a, a, the, the rough plot breakdown that he was going to be doing, and then I got the, pe- the pages. And it was when I got the pages that I started to ask questions about who the characters were, what their background was, what their backstory was. So he and I hashed it out verbally. But his original intent in that issue was to really make Domino and, and Gideon kind of be the forefront characters. I mean, if you look at that original issue, Deadpool appears for, what, five, six pages or something mm-hmm. like that? Yeah, it doesn't have, not a lot of pages. The, the goal was that we, he needed someone for Cable to fight. And he'd had an idea for a, 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 a Merc character that was going to be kind of like if you took Spider-Man and, and Deathstroke and mushed them together. Um, but he didn't even tell me that part. I, I almost had to like talk that through with him and, and, and get it out of him because I knew of his love of, of the Marv Wolfman and George Perez Teen Titans. He was a huge, huge fan of that book. Um, so I knew that he was trying to do his homage to, to Deathstroke and what he loved about Deathstroke, but I also knew that he wasn't doing Deathstroke because Deadpool was a much wirier character and much more athletic, and he was had the, the eyes, the mask, and the eyes were almost like, like a Spider-Man look that he was trying to give him, so mm-hmm. I knew it was kind of a, a mush of that, and as a result, I decided, let me take a little bit of the personality of Spider-Man and put it into the body of Deathstroke, as it were. And it worked perfectly because the real reason I made Deadpool a wise-ass is because I only had five pages with him and I wanted I wanted the, the voice and the tone to sound different than the other characters in the book had been. And Domino was a very serious character and Gideon was a very serious character and of course Cable is a very serious character. So I just decided to change the tone a little bit and make him 
a wise ass and have him, you know, be be the opposite of Cable, who's stern and quiet and taciturn, to make him someone who's obnoxious and annoying. And, and it was just a little bit different for what a Merc would be like. And, and after we did the issue, you know, the editor was happy with it. He said, oh, that was fun. The, all, all the characters were really good that we introduced. The mail started coming in really, really positive about Deadpool. And we were not idiots. We brought him back into the book. I think X-Force number two, he was already back in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Rob always had ideas that he wanted to use for Deadpool, but it wasn't necessarily that we created him thinking that he was going to be a humorous character Certainly not thinking he was going to break out twenty years later, you know. Oh yeah, and speaking of breaking out, what came up and gave you the idea of having him break the fourth wall? Because that's pretty much one of the biggest things, if not the biggest thing, Deadpool is known for, which is breaking that fourth wall. Well, How did that idea come about? I'm not a hundred percent sure that I'm the first person who did that. I really don't know. I may be, but I, I don't know that I am. I, I I did it because I was already doing the recap pages in the book and having having him give voice to the the events of the issues prior to the one you're reading now so i already had him being self-aware enough of the comic book stuff right i was also doing the letters pages for cable deadpool myself so i had him answering the letters in his voice which automatically makes him self-aware about what's going on and I'm sure that the opportunity came in the book at some point where I wanted him to make a comment that made him self-aware about his existence as a comic book character. But I, 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 I don't know how often I did it. I, may, I probably may have done it more than I should have, but it, it was probably part and parcel to, to the fact that I was already bookending it front and end with the, with the recap pages and the letters pages, and it gave, it gave a good mocking tone to everything. Because then in the letters pages... Deadpool could make fun of me, you know, and he could make fun of other Marvel characters or other Marvel events. And in the recap pages, he could make fun of the entire concept of all this continuity that you got to drag out and explain to, to people, you know? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So, so it made it easier to do it that way. And, and I, I certainly don't think that it's something that should be overdone at all. And if, and, and if I was guilty of overdoing it, it's probably because you're, you're looking at when you're working on a monthly book, more often than not, you're looking at the individual rivets that hold the steel plating together. You don't even realize it's a battleship until until years later when you look back on it. You know, it's very hard to step away and step back from the nuts and bolts of making a monthly comic. So sometimes you don't see the individual. You don't see the forest because you're busy with the individual trees. You know what I mean? So no, definitely. So I may not have even been aware. I wasn't keeping count. Uh-oh, I had him break the fourth wall twice in one issue. I don't even know. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if I did it two months in a row. I don't know if I did it four months in a row. I sure hope I didn't, but I may have. You know, um, I, I don't think it should be overdone. And I, I hope the movie does it, but I hope that it's not overdone in the movie either. You know? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you'd mentioned the movie. There's even been video games. I mean, over the years, the popularity of Deadpool's really gone off the charts. Now, how do you feel the character has evolved over the years from the character that you created in the New Mutants book to the one we're looking at today? Well, I got to be honest. Um, number one, I don't read a lot of the other stuff that gets done with the character, and I never have. Um, I read the first two years of Joe Kelly's run on Deadpool um, when I got the Cable Deadpool assignment. 
Um, and I read the first 30 issues of the, of the current book when I was given an assignment to work on something for later this year. I have still not read a single issue of the Daniel Way book. I have still not read a single issue of any of the limited series that have been done over the last 10 years, or however long it's been since they canceled Cable Deadpool. Like, what was that, 2008, I think? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so it's been seven years. I didn't read any of that stuff, and I don't plan to either. I, I read it when I need to read it, but I don't, I don't read it because I want to read it. Uh, there's, no, there's no win in that for me. If I read Deadpool and it's really well done, then I'm jealous that, that someone else is doing it better than me. And if I read Deadpool and I think it sucks, then I'm really angry that someone else is doing it and not me. So what, what is the win there? There is none. So Totally why, understandable, yeah. Why bother? So I ignore it. So I have no idea how he's been done in a lot of these books. Uh, the, of the books I've read... I guess I've been lucky because I read two years of Joe Kelly's stuff, which was really, really good, and I've read uh, 30 issues of, of, of Dugan and, and or Jerry and Brian's book, and that's been really good. So at least I've read good writers writing a character. I'd rather not read bad writers writing a character. Yeah, that, that we just said there about, you know, if I read it, I like it, then I hate it because, you know, it's jealousy. They had a very Ernest Hemingway uh, uh, take on that. On that. I just watched Midnight in Paris, and he actually had that kind of a, a saying, like, if I read it, it's good, and I hate it even more because I'm jealous and everything else. And that's, that's really interesting, too. And, you know, this year there's a big uh, story arc, or really the big ending, where they, they said that they were going to kill off Deadpool, and they did in issue 250. So when you found out that Marvel was going to kill him off, like, what was your initial reaction to it? Uh, I you have to uh, honestly that that's that's like the silliest question in the world. So you went from the Mount Rushmore question, which was the greatest question I've had in years, to the silliest question. But <laughs> that they're killing this character off uh, just just as a coincidence that it coincides with them doing all of the Secret War stuff, where the entire universe is killed off, is is kind of a silly question to ask. Um, uh, I didn't think about it for more than half a second. Okay, okay. Um, be, because that's honestly all the amount of time it, it deserved to, to, to think about. Well, speaking of Deadpool, and I know that it's unrealistic, but I've got to ask anyway, because I'm sure that it's crossed your mind once or twice. If you could actually team up Deadpool with one character from the DC universe, hero or villain, since you've been on both sides, who would it be and why? That's the kind of question will probably require more thought because I'd have to really, really think about the best combination. Um, I, 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 I wouldn't be something obvious like Harley Quinn because I think that's a mistake. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I had enough problems on my own when I had Deadpool and Spider-Man team up, which I thought would be a great combo, and it turned out to be an awful combo for me to write because then Spider-Man ends up becoming the straight man, and Spider-Man can't be the straight man, mm -hmm. so... It's a really bad combination. Um, I think the same thing would happen with Harley Quinn. Um, but, but probably my answer would be um, something completely unexpected like Sugar and Spike or something like that. Wow. <laughs> because wow. That is not what I expected. People having to run around <laughs> after two three-year-old toddlers who are both mayhem machines, which would, sounds like it would be a lot of fun for me. That's a good point, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good, good grit. That's awesome. So when, when a movie studio adapts a character you've, you've you know, co-created and you've made popular to the big screen, as a writer, what's your biggest fear and what's your biggest hope when they adapt something like that? 
that I won't that my name won't be in the credits at the end. Um, <laughs> and and that the check won't clear. Those are the two biggest fears I have. That's it. That's it. <laughs> that's, Honestly, that's... I have because I have no involvement in it. Because I have no participation in it, because I have no consulting in it, I, I because I have zero control over it on a creative level, then I'm not in the least bit worried. Because I, I'm either going to do one of two things: I'm going to cringe in embarrassment because it was awful, uh, or I'm going to be thrilled and happy that they understood it and got it right. Because that means that maybe it'll make money and maybe they'll make another movie. And if they make another movie, it'll be a chance for them to not screw up and put my name in the credits and it'll be a chance to get another check. So it's not it's it's almost like so big, it's so out of your hands that that you shouldn't bother worrying about it, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I, I totally understand that. As a matter of fact, uh, you were involved in something else back in the 90s. You were editor-in-chief of what's now kind of what, what has become Valiant Comics. Uh, you were involved with uh, Exo Man of War and a lot of the other properties. They're kind of refurbishing them in, in a way. So what do you think their biggest challenges, since they're going to move into movies now, they're going to start their own cinematic universe, what do you think the biggest challenges for them as an indie publisher to start a cinematic universe from basically from scratch at this well, point? Well, um... I, I don't know what they've done with their universe. Um, I, I, all I know is what other people have told me. I think that they have a lot of really good talent on those books. I remade the original Valiant universe into something different because at that time it desperately needed to be redone in order for the parent company to feel like they had some sort of a justification for having spent $65 million to buy the company. Mm-hmm. And and it, some of that stuff worked creatively, but none of it worked from a sales standpoint. Uh, I know that the Valiant books have some good quality people on them right now, but I have zero idea how they're really selling. So it, it's so much less about the comics at this point, and it is for them too, than it is about about driving entertainment dollars because that's where their real revenue is going to come in. It's not going to come in from publishing dollars. Um, not, not, not to support a company anyway. It, it, if you're supporting an individual, that's great, but don't call it an indie company because an indie company to me is, is two guys working out of their garage and, and, and self-publishing or putting a book together and having image do it for you. This is a company. This is a company that has a floor office, office space in Manhattan and they got employees and they got, you know, they got health insurance plans and what have you. So they're a company. They're not an indie. And I think that the biggest challenge they have is in making that first movie something that's entertaining enough that people will want to see more of that world. If Iron Man had sucked, the Marvel Cinematic Universe may have still happened, but it would not have happened with the same kind of snowball rolling down the hill avalanche that it, that it, that it, ha- that it had. Um, if if the first Iron Man movie had just been eh, then then the next movie would have had to have worked harder and harder and harder, you know. Um, so whatever their first movie is, and I, I may be Bloodshot, I don't know. It is Bloodshot. You're right. Well, it'll be Bloodshot once it's specifically announced and and is cast, and there's a director and a script. I mean, the the, the difference between people saying something is going to happen in Hollywood and something actually happening in Hollywood. Is, is honestly the difference between night and day. No doubt about that. 
So, so you can't you can't ever listen to what someone says in a press release and think that that's reality, be, be, because reality is once the once the once the money gets put on the table and the production gets greenlit, which doesn't really happen until the script is accepted, um, and, and then then things get happening. Um, so, if it's bloodshot, that's fine, I guess. I worry that a character that is basically Frankenstein meets Terminator is a, really the linchpin onto which you want to establish your universe. Uh, my other problem with the Valiant Universe is not that different from how Warner's has decided to approach the DC properties. There's very little sense of fun in this stuff. And if there's one thing Marvel has done a very good job at, it's instilling a sense of fun to their characters and their world, which is very synonymous to what was done in the comics back in the 60s. And and the, the Warner films have been way too serious for my tastes, and I worry that the Valiant universe will reflect the comics, and the comics seem really, really serious to me. Um, and quite frankly, when I go to a movie theater for two hours, I really want to be entertained. I, 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 I don't want... I don't want it to feel like I'm watching Shakespeare in spandex. Some really great points that you brought up because one of them, and James, I've been talking about this a little bit too, is just the way that you mentioned the whole Marvel Cinematic Universes and how a lot of companies now are getting their money through, you know, movies and TV shows and not really much more of the publishing. They're kind of turning more towards the uh, entertainment industry part of it. Do you think that as these universes start to expand even more and we get more projects out there from other publishers, do you think that the movies are soon going to dictate how writers maybe have to approach uh, certain comics, maybe being told to approach certain comic runs? Uh, it might happen, but I really don't know if it will. I, I think that you have to understand the difference between a, a top-selling comic selling, what does a top-selling comic sell today? 100 to 150,000 copies or something like that? Of, a, uh, of the top monthly books as opposed to the special projects, it, that, that, that's, like, that's like a single grain of sand in comparison to the kind of money that the studios are talking about generating and spending when they're working on these films. So it, it's not, there's not that much they have to worry about. I mean, it, the, the cinematic universes may drive some of the visuals or some of the short-term storytelling requirements because let's say you want a certain group of characters to be operational together because the movie's going to have that group of characters operational. If Electro has been dead in the comics for the last two years and you know Electro is going to be the villain in the movie, you may want to bring Electro back sometime before or during or right after the movie comes out. But the truth of the matter is, is that movies haven't driven comic book sales in over 25 years since the first Batman movie. That, that, the, the Walking Dead TV show has driven Walking Dead sales tremendously, but that, that's, that's a mainstream crossover audience that is not necessarily science fiction or fantasy driven and, and it's certainly not superhero-driven, the audience. The comic book industry doesn't sell more comics when the movies come out because the comic book industry doesn't sell to younger kids anymore. And those are the ones who would most likely be picking up new comics, whether it be digitally or in the stores of those characters. But then those kids don't care as much anymore about that kind of stuff 
because they'll watch the cartoon on Disney XD or they'll get the toys if they really want to. And, and the comic books have become really, really a minor footnote in, in comparison to the revenues generated by the movies. That being said, the companies, both Warner and Marvel Studios and Sony with, with, with Valiant now and anyone else is fully aware that the comic book companies are a source of cost-efficient intellectual property development. So they're going to want the companies to continue to develop those properties because any given storyline could be the foundation that you can adapt a movie screenplay to. And any new character can be the foundation for which Netflix can decide, I want to do a 13-episode series of AKA Jessica Jones, you know? So, so they'll continue to be, to be considered respectfully, mind you, as intellectual property developers. Now, Fabian, before we let you go, I've got to ask you one more question because Nick and I have both run into this problem in our lives. We actually talked about this before we started the interview. What's the most embarrassing place anyone's ever butchered your name? Oh, I, I, I gotta be honest, guys. I, I, I don't even know. I mean, it's, there's rarely been an instance in my entire life where my name wasn't butchered. So (laughs) it's hard to pick just one. (laughs) When when it's, when it's a, when it's constant, you don't pay attention to it anymore. I don't, I have zero way to answer that question because it's butchered 99% of the time that it's spoken in this country anyway. I, I, you know, I, I had the pleasure of going to to France for a convention years ago, and they pronounced my name without a problem because <laughs> it's a Spanish name, and they understood <laughs> it. Unlike this country, which doesn't understand foreign languages, they they even think the people in Great Britain speak a foreign language. So, uh, it, you know, t- t- I, I there's there's no answer to that. It's always been butchered. You have to take a half a day's plane ride just to get your name pronounced correctly. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. In elementary school, it was great because any time the teacher would – the first day of class or when we had a substitute teacher and they do the roll call, I, you know it's alphabetical. So you know when they're getting to your name and you would just watch them freeze. They would just freeze. <laughs> you knew that it was your name. So I would just wait wait the prerequisite two or three seconds and then I would just raise my hand and they would get all like, all like thank God I don't have to pronounce this name. He raised his hand. So. <laughs> And the irony is now that, that the area I live in and the, the school system my kids go to has had a, a huge influx uh, of Asians, Indians, Chinese in our, in our area, and they make up a huge proportion of the school. And their names are, in my opinion, a million times harder to pronounce than Nisiesa is. So I watch my daughter being able to pronounce names that I butcher because I don't know how to pronounce the, the names of some of these kids, you know. And I was coaching soccer, and I had, I had a lot of Indian kids, and it was so hard to pronounce some of their names. Once you get it, it's a piece of cake, you know it. But just that initial look at, at the list when it's written out, you go, holy crap, what am I going to say here, you know. So oh, yeah. that's what I had my whole life. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, we've enjoyed your work for our whole lives, and we appreciate you very much coming on the show. Of course, don't forget to pick up his work, not only with Convergence that's coming out recently, or also his Secret Wars tie-ins for Marvel. Fabian Nicieza, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, guys. And by the way, that secret project that I talked about will probably be announced pretty soon. And awesome. 
think it'll make one of the two of you pretty happy when it gets announced, okay? Yes, yes. <laughs> I think we know which direction that's leaning. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot for the time. I enjoyed it a lot. Oh, boy. Um, so, do, you, do you need to go change? Uh, just, you know. I'm just very high on fanboy you know, fumes right now. There you go. <laughs> I mean, dude, like I said, uh, Fate, well, his work, you know, Nicias's work got me into comics, you yeah. know, his X-Men stuff and everything else. And, you know, X-Men was the first comics I read. And, you know, to see him do this, the whole thing with Age of Apocalypse and Secret Wars and everything else. And it's just, you know, and of course, we got the Deadpool questions as well. But one thing I love about him is that he's just, he's really honest when it comes to his, his, his answers. He didn't pull any punches. I mean, he definitely, you know, he gave straightforward honest answers and i think that you know you've seen you hear so many people tap dance in interviews now and he just he he was out with it he's like i like this i don't like this i don't do this here's why i don't do this oh i don't and and it's honest oh yeah and i was like well i don't view valiant as uh, an indie you know and here's my idea of an indie and it's really interesting i love i just want to go back to your to the mount rushmore question because i love that and i realized that that's why i brought it up to him because it's like We've had a live show. We've had people write in their, their Mount Rushmores. Not once has anybody no. put Wonder Woman on their Mount Rushmore. And he's like, well, it's kind of stupid that they they didn't, you know? Yeah. And I, I agree. You know I mean? Yeah. And it loves his now looking at myself like, damn, how did I not put her on mine? You know? Well, like, it's funny. And look who he didn't put on. Didn't put Spidey in there. No. He did not put Spider-Man in there. He even said he, was, he would put Robin on his. Yeah. Which I was like, I even, I was like, wow, he put Robin in there, but he made a case. Yeah, he absolutely made a case for Robin, and and anybody who's anybody who listens to that and goes, really, think about it for a second. The points that he made, it's like, huh? You could consider Robin on the Mount Rushmore. Then you really exactly. could. Exactly, but like I said, it was it's so great to talk to a, just a legendary writer and somebody like him who who is just brilliant, and he, you know, like I said, he's very, you know open with his answers and just he's honest and you know i mean that's what i like about him and it's just you know and i'm just glad that he he you know wanted to come on and give us give us some of his time because like i said i mean this is a guy who created my favorite comic character of all time you know yeah, like it doesn't get much better than that right there yeah it, you know it, it's just it's oh my god you know it's just kind of like if we got kevin conroy on and i know you'd be like oh, yes. up to the moon and back you know oh, and boy and I, 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 but again, it was so fun. Like I said, just sitting there and listening to him talk, and I'm like, literally, there's some things. Uh, some of my things are going into it. I may have had a different opinion on, but I'm listening to him talk. I'm like, you know what? You're right. Like, you know what? I'm sitting there. I'm just sitting there, just listening to him. I'm just like, I am so lost in his words because he's making so much sense. It made you, know? you think, and I think that's that's the point, and that's one of the reasons I'm glad we're able to have him on because it made you think, and he was just so honest and we thank him again for coming on. But right now we're very self-aware that we're a podcast. So that's <laughs> going to do it for this week. Of course, you can always catch us on Facebook, facebook.com slash dad and nerdy. We're also on Twitter at down and nerdy 757. I'm at James Ace with them, Nick. Wow. This is kind of a very reverse way of ending the show. A little curveball there. 
Yeah, no, I'm the one that ends it. But yeah, you can catch me on Twitter at Merc with one arm. And don't forget to email us your fan questions down nerdy podcast at gmail.com. Also, we have an Amazon store, James. Yes, we do have an Amazon store, which you can get from our Facebook page. There's a little Shop Now button on there. You can click on that. Absolutely safe and secure because it's powered by Amazon. You can also call in your fan questions, too, by the way, to 757-512-8229 and leave your fan questions. So when we do our fan questions episode, yeah, you're actually going to get to hear your question on the podcast. It'll be you. You'll be part of the show, just like if you were at one of our live shows. Exactly, and that's going to do it for this week. And uh, as always, I'll leave you with this little bit of tidbit of information for you nerds out there. Always practice safe comic book reading. Always bag and board your comics.